This is The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Good morning, it's John Moore, and this is The Breakfast Wrap for this Wednesday, February 1st. The weather forecast for today, things taking a cold turn. Mainly cloudy, chance of flurries late this morning, the high minus 4 degrees. Here are the five things you need to know. Number one, southern Ontario dipping into the freeze. Number two, a report paints a grim portrait of deaths in detention facilities in Ontario. Number three, a court ruling could create a homeless problem in the city. Mayor John Tory will join us to talk about it at 635. Number four, Ottawa establishes new voluntary long-term care practices. And number five, tomorrow is the deadline for you to declare the status of your property. The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Oh, hello. 5.07 is the time. It's minus 13 degrees. Pretty sure. I can't necessarily confirm. Nick Marana, maybe you can be my wingman on this. But I think that's the coldest it's ever been this winter when we start the show. Unofficially, yes. It was really, really cold out there. You felt it as soon as you stepped out the door and yeah. hit you in the face like a ton of bricks. Well, I was just talking to Jerry Agar's producer, Donnie Coulter. And I said, how you doing? He said, meh. I said, what do you mean? He said, it's cold. I thought, no, okay. I get it. It's going to be a factor in everybody's life. And I guess if you've, you know, got to bundle up the kids in in the snowsuit or whatever, or especially I'm always quite mindful since I'm a dog owner that you have no choice. Like a lot of people could wake up this morning, pour a coffee, maybe just maybe they're working from home. Who knows? But they just they don't have to go out if they don't want to. And if you're a dog owner, then you've got this furry thing that is like, I need to go outside. I need to go outside. I need to go outside. And in our household, I'd be interested actually in comparing notes. I've never asked other dog owners how often they walk their dog. But I think, you know, like if you have a job, I think a lot of people get up in the morning, walk the dog, dogs alone all day, and then they take the dog for one walk uh, before bed. Our guy gets uh, four walks a day. I think he's spoiled, but, you know, I, I think he thinks this is just the way things are. So, um, it's one of those mornings where, you know, I'm, I'm going through my pack of stories and sort of trying to, back in the day when I was a news anchor, I, you, you have to rank them, right? You have to say, this is the most important story. This is the next most important story. Um, today is one of those days where there's a lot of things we want to talk about. Some of them not entirely debatable, but they're still in the news. But I, I will confess, I'm having a hard time ranking them in order. Um, I do think that this report about um, Toronto, actually, I don't know if it's necessarily Toronto. No, it's entirely. It's uh, the across the board for Ontario detention facilities report came out and says of 192 people who died in custody over the period of time that this report uh, examines, uh, 2014 to 2021. Um, of the 192 people who died, almost, um, well, let me just read as it's described. There were 192 inmate deaths in Ontario jails in just eight years, almost all of which were preventable. So that is definitely of concern. And I think it also informs the debate that we've been having. Yesterday, we talked with Melissa Lansman, conservative MP 
from the Toronto area. The federal conservatives have decided to make bail a, an issue. And actually, they're not alone in that. John Tory has talked about this. Premiers across the country have talked about this. There is a belief that a lot of people are being arrested for some pretty serious crimes of which they have not been convicted. And that once they are, um, you know, once they get before a judge, the judge says, okay, well, it's going to be 16 months before we get to trial, so I'm going to set you free. And then they go off and do something else. And philosophically, for a lot of people, it's a real issue because you are innocent until convicted. So what if you are found innocent and you have spent a year and a half in detention? And then we get to this report that finds that people are dying uh, from violence, from uh, not getting the right attention when they have a medical issue, from drug overdoses. There's a myriad of things that are contributing to people's deaths. But as this report concluded, of 192 inmate deaths in Ontario over a period of eight years, almost all of them were preventable. And uh, then we get to, and I won't dwell on this forever, but I just want to give you the broad strokes so you can start reaching some conclusions before the pundits arrive at the microphone. But when it comes to lockdowns in these facilities, overwhelmingly it has nothing to do with inmate behavior and everything to do with the fact that they just didn't have enough available staff in order to supervise. And I can appreciate there's a lot of people out there who will say, I don't really care. You know, these are bad people and perhaps they are, but a lot of these people are potentially bad people who have not been found guilty of anything. Um, there's some fascinating stats, and we'll, we'll talk about this in greater depth as the morning continues. But the number of people who are behind bars who have never been found guilty of anything is um, somewhat staggering. Uh, another thing we'll definitely talk about today, and this is one of those eminently debatable things. Who's on patrol this morning on the morning brief? It's going to be, ooh, Lisa Raitt. Ding, ding, ding. Um, Lisa Raitt, former federal cabinet minister, very, very uh, intriguing lady. And she's just one of those people who loves talk radio so much that they like contributing to talk radio. So over the last uh, little while, we've added her to our orbit. So Lisa Raitt will offer her views. And it'd be interesting to see what she has to say about the inmate situation. And also what she and you listening right now have to say about the fact that, hey, welcome to a brand new month. It's February 1st. So we're making our way through winter, although this week promises to be perhaps the coldest week we're going to have this winter. I was looking at the long range forecast and on Friday, we're looking at minus 14 for a high. So that's not going to be a lot of fun. Uh, but with the arrival of the 1st of February, the discounts are actually the frozen prices on non-brand name products at Loblaws is over. You may remember back in October was not particularly well received. Loblaws said, we get it. There's a lot of food inflation. So our no-name products, we're just going to freeze them. And we talked to a few food experts who pointed out the fact that it is not abnormal for those prices to be frozen anyway from October to the new year. So it was not that great a gesture. I think the wider question is this, and, you know, at the risk of offending a client, we're currently running a commercial where he doesn't identify himself, but you can hear Galen Weston's voice. And there's a considerable debate these days in terms of branding that it used to be kind of fun and cuddly 
that um, uh, Galen Weston was the spokesperson for his company. But over the last little while, with everything from bread price fixing to food inflation, um, and then, you know, things like, can you do your own checkout? Thank you very much, which is a total nuisance. Um, that people have fallen out of love with their grocer. But if Galen Weston is going to be the avatar for Loblaws, they've fallen out of love with Galen Weston. So again, we'll uh, definitely throw that one at uh, our pundits today. And then another story that definitely deserves greater coverage, and we're up against traffic, so we'll talk about this in deeper depth coming up. But the national government is establishing new standards for long-term care. Now, it's none of their business, but they're establishing those standards anyway. Here's John Moore from What's Toronto talking about. Good morning, John. Loblaw is not extending price freeze for no-name products. They had a freeze going on for about three months, and that's going to be lifted. So we're going to see that in grocery stores starting very soon. Nice to be here, Arda, and welcome to the airwaves of News Talk 1010 as well. And you're absolutely right. Welcome to a brand new month. It's the 1st of February, and it's a bit of a cold blast, as Bill was reporting. And as of today, Loblaws Freeze, which was announced in October on no-name products and their price, is off the table. It's kind of an interesting aspect in terms of branding, because Loblaws probably thought it was making a great move and that people were going to embrace it. But at the time of its announcement, people we're pointing out that it's actually quite normal for no-name products to be frozen between October and the new year. So it didn't really seem to gain them anything. And today, with it coming off the table, I imagine it's another headache for the people at Loblaws. There's a report. It's, it's pretty disturbing. It shows inmates in Ontario jails dying at a dramatically increasing rate. And we're talking non-homicide deaths. These are 192 inmate deaths that were tracked over a period of eight years. And it's a brand new report that is out that says the overwhelming majority of those people would not have died other, under other circumstances. It also informs the story, Arda, that a good number of these people are actually in pre-trial detention. So they haven't been found guilty of anything, but they're being held behind bars. So I think this is going to be something that is going to generate a considerable amount of debate. We already know that a lot of the pretrial detention facilities in Ontario are pretty miserable places and not just miserable as prisons, that they're actually substandard. And we'll see if there's any action taken on that in the future. Meanwhile, Toronto may be vulnerable to a legal challenge after president setting encampment ruling, which happened in Kitchener. We were talking about this on Monday, actually. It was a ruling that came out on Friday that could have some pretty major consequences. Effectively, in Kitchener-Waterloo, a judge concluded that you can't remove people from a public park if they're camping there if you cannot guarantee that you have a bed for them to go to, and it has to be a suitable bed. So now the question is, what are the implications in the city of Toronto? We're going to bring this to our uh, Mayor in the Morning segment that we do on Wednesdays at 6.35. Mayor John Tory is going to be joining us, and he'll give us his reaction and analysis. Well, very interesting. He's joining us also at 6.50 this morning. Uh, let's move on to Cafe TO. So the executive committee gives a nod to Cafe TO changes, and that means a big fee for restaurants if they want to participate. 
And that's the consideration. And it's certainly arguable. The city gives up some revenues because sometimes Cafe TO takes up parking spaces that people would pay for. Also, there is some infrastructure that needs to be installed on occasion. Um, but this has been a very big success. It was brought in as a result of the pandemic. It seems that restaurateurs and pub owners and Torontonians like the program. But you're absolutely right. We're looking at fees for around uh, $1,400 for the average sidewalk cafe, $3,000 dollars if you're a curbside cafe and then there's a one-time application fee of 865 dollars so we'll see what restaurateurs and publicans have to say about this but the city will probably argue back listen you're getting extra table space you're going to serve extra meals and drinks so you know you can pay the cost is it going to be worth it? That's what restaurants have to decide. Uh, let's talk about to this Toronto cyclist who was allegedly targeted with homophobic slurs and then run off the road by motorists. It seems cyclists are always getting the bad end of the stick, but this this is really disturbing. This happened on the 21st of January, and the video has certainly been making the rounds over the last 24 hours on social media. A cyclist appearing to be knocked off the road by a motorist. It is said, although we went through the audio and we couldn't hear hear it, it wasn't clear enough that the person was, the cyclist, was hit with a homophobic slur. We'll talk this morning with David Shelnut, who's known as the cycling lawyer. He's representing the cyclist in question. His big objection here is that the motorist was actually tracked down thanks to somebody capturing his license plate, but the charges were minimal. Thank you, John, so much for being here with us on CP24 and, of course, News Talk 1010. More in the morning is on from 5 to 9. Thank you. Have a great morning. That is our morning segment where, for moments, if you wish to, you can see me on television. Whenever there was a guy at the gym the other day who came over and said, I saw you on television. And I thought, OK, um, I haven't done television in a good long time. So the only way you could see me is at 515. OK, I said, are you an insomniac? Although I also appreciate there's, you know, you listening right now, you're probably behind the wheel of your car. I know some people still wake up with a radio on the bedside table. So maybe you're lying in the comfort of a comforter and looking at the ceiling right now. Um, but yes, it's not necessarily insomniacs who might see me on CP24. But I also appreciate that I am often seen and not heard. I'm like a good British child. Um, you know, people are on treadmills and they're reading the headlines on the Chiron, looking at the weather forecast on CP24, but they don't have the sound up because they're at the gym. It's 524. And some of the things we were just talking about definitely worthy of some uh, expansion. And I think, what is it, 805 this morning, Joe Cristiano, that uh, David Shelnut's going to join us. He's the cycling lawyer. And his complaint here is... You know, normally when somebody is arrested, the police and the Crown throw every charge in the book at them. And then there are cases like this particular case where, you know, the driver appears in the video to try to kill somebody, basically. And the charge is not allowing you to have the lane. Is that really a charge? I mean, that, that sounds like something from legal arcana. Um, but David Shelnut is arguing that he should have been, they should have been charged, I don't know if it's a man or a woman, with intentional act of violence and assault, pass within one meter, careless driving causing bodily harm, fail to remain. And so David Shelnut will make that case. I do find it fascinating and perplexing and disturbing that 
when there are incidents like this, people don't seem to care. There is an animosity toward people on bicycles. And it would extend, and maybe Jerry Agar can talk about this a little later on in the show, but I've talked to motorcyclists on freeways who out of nowhere end up with people harassing them with a motor vehicle. And there just seems to be this, I don't know what it is. Is this informed by the fact that you are behind the wheel of this two-ton vehicle and you think it's great and amazing and you're well-insulated and you think anybody who's not is a moron? You're listening to The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. You know, you never know when you follow certain accounts on Twitter what you're going to come across. And you're probably familiar with Corin Hall, our royal correspondent. We first hooked up with her. We hired her to do color commentary on the marriage of William and Kate. And then she and I have remained in touch. And whenever there's something going on in the royal family, and when is there not, she joins us to talk about it. And I follow her on Twitter. <laughs> I'm just going through the Twitter feed during the commercial break. And she has posted video of King Willem Alexander and Queen Maxima the Princess of Orange, um, they are the Dutch royalty, and they're dancing in Aruba. And let's just say the queen knows what she's doing, and the king dances like Donald Trump. And I'll never quite understand. Some people can dance, some people can't. And by that, it's not like dancing with the stars. It's just whether or not if they put on a pretty good groove and there's a camera on you, if you're going to look like you have some sort of mobility issue or if you're just going to rock it. But anyway, more important things to talk about at this hour. Welcome to February. I think it's important to always to emphasize a new month. First of all, passage of the other one. And day by day, we're making our way through winter, although we are probably this week in the coldest stretch that we are going to have this winter. So you want to steel yourself against that. It's good news in a few departments. I'm actually kind of excited about it because I presume this is going to be enough cold weather to freeze the canal in Ottawa. And I've been harping on that this week, but I really want to go skating on the canal. As a matter of fact, yesterday on CP24, they were doing a report, but the sound was off again. I was at the gym and somebody was out skating on some route. And I don't think it was Arrowhead uh, Park. Somebody was on a great big skating loop, and I thought, where is that? Want to know. Is it close by? Can I go? Because that's one of the things I love doing in winter is, uh, is skating. And I have to confess that in all the time I've been in the province of Ontario, which is now, there we go, skating music, in all the time that I've been in Ontario, and I got here in 2003, I've never gone skiing in Ontario. I know Glenn Crowder and others are probably going to shame me now, but I just haven't gotten around to it. It just, it's such a natural thing when you're in Montreal because you can go south or north and in 45 minutes you can be at a really nice uh, ski hill. Here it takes a little longer. Anyway, enough about the weather and winter activities, although Nick Mayorano, that music is always going to cheer me up because the music from the Charlie Brown Christmas is spectacular and it is the kind of jazz. I mean, Vince Giraldi, and um, now I, you know, I'm so bad with names. Bill Evans, Bill Evans. I could, if you told me I could only ever listen to one musician for the rest of my life, it would be Bill Evans. Okay, so I was mentioning all of this. All of this stemmed from my saying that it's the 1st of February. So, you know, a lot of things come into play. Uh, for some people, the rent is due. Um, for others, you just got to tear a page off the calendar that hangs on the wall, if anybody still has one of those. But then you get into issues like this. 
And, you know, this is on my agenda. It, you know, when I get home to the home office today, um, Toronto homeowners have until tomorrow to file their declaration that they actually live in their house or home or condo. And if you don't, then, I mean, I realize there's going to be a whole bunch of back and forth stuff, but this is all in order to avoid being assessed with a tax for your home being unoccupied. And let's face it, it's going to come down to a few thousand properties in all likelihood in the city of Toronto that are unoccupied because people are banking them as if they are stocks. And so for everybody else, it's just the nuisance of having to do this. And I wish I could be the source of all sorts of comforting information for you this morning and telling you exactly how to do this. But like you, I received something in the mail and I set it aside in a stack of things that I need to do and I didn't get to it. And now I got to do it today. Um, but as an example, if you want to see how this has worked out in other jurisdictions, Vancouver introduced a vacant home tax in 2017. Um, the total number of vacant properties right now is listed as 1,398. And that's actually 36% fewer properties than when the program launched. So clearly some people in order to avoid the tax decided that they would either occupy a property or rent it out. I'm a supporter of this tax in spite of the fact that it's yet more paperwork to be done because real estate is not like other commodities. If you treat it only as a commodity, then you are actually, the, the consequences of that, for example, is that somebody can't live in a property because you decided to buy it, bank it, and it is worth so much to you year to year in terms of its appreciation, better than a bond, better than a stock. And so why bother with having tenants in it? So you don't have tenants in it, but people need places to live. So if you're just banking a condo as a property, you are depriving the aggregated population of one space in which to live, which could be one people, two people, that could be a family, whatever. So I know Jerry and I will disagree on this forever, but I believe that special laws that recognize that real estate should be lived in are not exactly, you know, a bridge too far. Interesting discussion I was having on Twitter yesterday. I don't know if it was a discussion because after a while I get tired of these things and I just stop answering. But I posted a picture in my, on my Twitter account, which is at Moore in the AM, a couple of days ago, of the, you know, those blue and white placards that they put outside of a building when they're proposing, we're going to demolish this building and put something else up. And if you haven't noticed, there are thousands of those all over town. And yeah, you know what? Sometimes... I don't think I'm going to grieve too much that at Avenue Road in Balmoral, there are two properties, which I guess you could regard as historic, but there are so many others that we don't need to treasure those two. And they're probably rooming houses that have maybe three or four apartments in them, but they're planning on demolishing them and erecting a tower. Okay. But the, the one that I posted the picture of is a four-story medical building in the corner of Balmoral and Young, purpose-built for medical purposes, because, you know, it's, it's a little different. If you're going to run a medical practice, you need to be able to handle things like, you know, human waste. We don't have to get too graphic about it. Um, but also, the building is only about 35 years old, and they want to demolish it and put up a tower, like, you know, 65 stories. 
And I wasn't actually making much of a comment on it at all. I just posted a picture that that placard, somebody spray painted a big no. And then somebody tweeted at me, oh, look, John Moore, the social activist, is opposed to affordable housing. And I thought, no, I'm not actually. I'm opposed to bad urban planning. I'm not opposed to affordable housing. I'm very supportive of it. But it also prompted me to go look up what is housing going for in my neighborhood? You know, what will this property sell for? This property, they haven't put the specs up yet, but there's a tower two blocks away that they're erecting. And very proudly on the website, they say, with units starting in the 1.300 zone. I mean, so, you know, probably 1.35. And that has to be, you know, 500 square feet. That's not affordable housing. But this guy had this bizarre theory that if you move people up from you know, an expensive property to a more expensive property, then that frees up property for other people. Yes, expensive property for other people. And last thought on this file, the construction of $1.3 million, 500 square foot condo, 200 meters away from my house with no parking and no outdoor area. What do you think that's going to do to my property? It's probably going to double it in value. So, you know, First of all, this is not creating affordable housing. And second of all, um, I'm, I'm speaking out against a project that I stand to actually make money off of. So still advocating for affordable housing. Thanks. Subscribe today and always hear the latest episode of The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. So John Tory makes a regular appearance on News Talk 1010 now at 6.35 a.m. on Wednesdays. And as I have previously observed, so I won't dwell on this forever, but when you have a standing appointment with somebody like John Tory, then they don't necessarily control the narrative. Although I don't think we're going to, we're never going to, we're not going to pants him on anything. Um, it's too cold. Yeah, exactly. But today, one of the issues will be something that's kind of been bubbling up since we first talked about it on Monday. And that is this court ruling in Kitchener-Waterloo, which is going to appeal, but for the moment, it's the law of the land which says that you cannot dismantle a homeless shelter, whatever you want to call it, you know, tents and stuff in a public park or on any public land. You cannot flush somebody out of a temporary shelter unless you have somewhere to put them. So I would imagine John Tory, he is a lawyer, his first impulse when that ruling came out was to send it to City of Toronto lawyers, but we'll find out if he has any views on it when we talk with him this morning. I was mentioning new national standards for long-term care, and even Justin Trudeau is admitting, okay, it's not really our jurisdiction, but we wanted to do this anyway. Obviously, these are conversations that we have on an ongoing uh, nature with the, uh, with the provinces. Uh, we recognize the responsibility and the jurisdiction of provinces in these areas, but I think all Canadians, regardless of the order of government, uh, want seniors to have the best quality of care possible, and that's what we're going to continue to work on. Okay, so one of the standards that the federal government is establishing is four hours a day of direct care. Uh, Paul Calandra is Ontario's long-term care minister. He said, hey, we're already doing that. You know, that's already provincial policy. So thanks a lot for coming out. Um, I find myself wondering, and I guess I should be when I'm not on the air here, because, you know, a lot of 
what we bring to the show involves conversations we have while we're not doing the show, because I try to go out and find out more about the individual files that we treat. I'd like to know what four hours of care a day means, because surely that means that a given worker can only be looking after two patients, you know, considering an eight hour shift. So, and I, I reflect on my father and I don't know what the, my father's care was. Uh, we made a practice actually of showing up unannounced at the home just to make sure everything was on the up and up. But I never observed a full day of my father's care. I know in probably the last year of his life, he required somebody to get him up out of bed, uh, take him to the bathroom, possibly give him a shower. Um, he had to be supervised to make sure that he ate and there was a degree of uh, physiotherapy as well when he wasn't in dialysis. But, you know, the f I'd, I'd like to see a chart, I guess, of what four hours a day of care for a given individual in long-term care looks like. Meanwhile, if we remain at the federal level for a moment, um, Susan Delacourt, for whom I have all the time of day because she's one of the national affairs columnists that I follow regularly because I think her analysis is fantastic. She's writing that the Trudeau government is on a bit of a slide in terms of popularity. And you know what? I, it does seem, if we were playing paintball, that the conservatives have been, as a matter of routine, striking Justin Trudeau and company on a regular basis. The NDP, not so much, because, you know, everybody jokes about um, um, uh, now I'm forgetting his name for Pete's sake, Singh, uh, the leader of the NDP. Jagmeet Singh. Jagmeet, thank you very much. See, I always say I can tell you who won the Oscar for Best Female Performance in 1937 and 1938 because she was a, a repeat. Uh, but then I forget the first name of the leader of the federal NDP. So Jagmeet Singh. His attacks on the government kind of fall flat because it's always like, I think this government's horrible, and yet I continue to backstop it and prevent this government from facing any level of judgment or electoral jeopardy. Uh, but here's what Susan Delacourt says. The first few weeks of 2023 finds the Trudeau government not in a crisis, but a definite slide. It's a slide that isn't about one thing, but an accumulation of baggage over the general direction of the country. And that's that's how it works. You got to have a narrative. It's kind of like in a soap opera. Somebody can raise one eyebrow, but you don't necessarily know where it's going. When they pull the gun, you know you have a narrative. And in governments, there's just sort of this thing that sets in over time. And next thing you know, people are tired of the incumbent government and ready for change. Put that to our pundits. Uh, another thing we're going to ask John Tory about at 6.35 this morning, there is a, I don't know if we can call them a rump, but it's not a huge number of uh, city councillors. I think we're at five. Uh, but there are city councillors who are opposing cops and security guards on the TTC. One of them is Alejandra Bravo, who appeared on The Rush yesterday afternoon. Are we choosing the right solution and at what cost? Um, so the, the first is, it's just like the, the massive bill that's going to come and who's going to pay for that? Is it going to come out of the transit fare? Because when, when we get overtime officers that we assign, say, by, and for transportation purposes, that they built, that gets billed back to the city. So where, what's going to be cut as a result? 
um, you know, and we're our, our back of the envelope calculations were pretty high. Um, and and so we need to, to get those answers for people. And the second thing, it comes at a high cost because not everybody feels safe um, with a massive police uh, presence. And I don't think that we've heard that we've made enough movement in the city to make sure that policing is experienced equitably and fairly by everyone. Okay, a few angles in there. The budget angle interests me in particular because the chief of police was on our show last week. And he said that these 80 new police officers, they could find a way to absorb that into the police budget. But then Monday or yesterday, I think it was yesterday, we learned that we'd have um, 50 new security guards who would be hired from private companies. They don't come cheap. And where is that money coming from? We'll put that question to John Tory this morning at 635. That's The Breakfast Wrap. Thanks for listening. My name is John Moore. I hope we'll talk again soon. You've been listening to The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Don't forget to subscribe and get the latest episode from wherever you get your podcasts. And listen weekday mornings from 5 to 9 on News Talk 1010.